This is the Epilogue audio experience. You need to have a certain level of unpredictability. You need to have a certain level of surprise. Um, and it is not sustainable. That feeling of dopamine spike, which is what we call happiness, isn't sustainable. So on today's episode of Jamsters, I am joined by a neurologist and a YouTuber who actually found that just being a medical practitioner is not cool enough. So he wanted to be a content creator as well. I'm talking about none other than Dr. Siddharth Warrior. Welcome on Jamsters, buddy. It's a pleasure to finally, finally be able to do this. Thank you, Hardik. I know it's been a lot of back and forth. We've been trying to plan this for the last one, two months. I'm glad that I'm here. I'm glad we're finally doing this. You know, Siddharth, I mean, uh, it's interesting that you don the hat of already being a medical practitioner. Many people sort of move away from that role once they take on newer roles uh, that takes mm-hmm. a backseat. But in your case, you are still practicing. You're still being a doctor. You're still treating patients. How are you managing these multiple hats here? Let's let's dig into that a little bit. Uh, so for me, I'm very aware that um, everything that I'm getting out of uh, being a content creator and being a social media uh somebody being on social media sharing my experiences and views comes from the fact that i am a practicing doctor so uh for me that's the base i don't think i can ever move away from that uh, it has always been the plan to um you know practice as a neurologist uh, try and help people what is uh, what is important for me is that while i do that doing that shouldn't mean that i'm going away from what i would personally want to do so i don't like this idea of either or that you can only pick one so i'm i'm quite adamant in um, trying to make sure that you know both my professional and my personal interests are being met and it is a bit of extra work i do accept that but i think it's worth it that makes a lot of sense i think especially um, when um the access to opportunities get accelerated by being exposed to uh, platforms like these. I think it becomes an inherent dopamine hit to just constant get like validation and, and the appreciation and also in the process help people as well. Um, and uh, I completely am aware that this has accelerated your medical practice as well, right? I think it has probably given you um, greater reach, greater acceptability with your patients as well. Um, tell me life before social media being a content creator and life after that i know this is not like one point answer this is a this is a progression of things but what was life before and after this so as far as my medical practice is concerned there isn't a lot of difference except that now um probably one in 10 patients after the consultation is over while they're leaving they would just turn back and say oh by the way i saw your youtube video and i really liked it so that's always a it's a nice addition to my uh, practice um so i've i've started enjoying that because it's mm-hmm. a it's it's a great feeling to know that somebody has uh, looked you up and this is by the way a very common practice uh, especially in like 2022 in the younger crowd you will google your doctor before you visit absolutely them, right and uh, when you when you search for me online um, you will find everything that i've done online so it it is natural that they will do that it's natural that they will then go into my youtube channel go into my instagram feed and come across whatever it is that i'm talking about um so this hasn't I- impacted my practice itself mm-hmm. but it has impacted my experience of the practice so for patients i feel it's um, uh, they they come into the consulting room already feeling like they know me a little which mm. is a big advantage okay yep. okay and yep. does that does that does that make you as a better practitioner as the matter of fact you share a lot of information outside so you also need to be updated with a lot of uh, knowledge too or is it just like since you've already been doing this for a long time now this comes as a second hand nature to you to just share it as it goes along yeah so it's it's the latter uh, most doctors who have been through like a government hospital we are already in that mindset of teaching Mm. We already are um, used to teaching our juniors, used to teaching, taking clinics for our staff, our nurses. So we are in the habit of simplifying complex topics uh, in, and making it, you know, accessible to people. And uh, when you are sitting in, in, a, in front of a patient, you do have to explain to them what is going on and they can't understand technical lingo. So they also want to hear about it in as simple a way as possible. So for me, transitioning to social media was the easy bit. Because it was just saying what I'm saying in the consulting room, but just saying it in front of a camera. 
Now, what um, did Don also the creators had for you? Uh, because uh, you sort of say that you are a YouTuber, but you've also got a very Instagram active uh, presence as well. Um, did you did you choose one medium over the other when you were uh, at the outset of you know building your repertoire of content? Uh, was that a conscious choice? Uh, if yes, what? If no, why? Not really a conscious choice between the two. Uh, for me, I was always on Instagram, but it was mainly a place where I share photographs of my travel and poetry. That was mainly what Instagram was for uh, initially. Uh, when when the whole YouTube thing started and I started live streaming, I think it was Tanmay but who told me that um, you should live stream. And uh, I just took his advice. I just, uh, because he said so, I just started it. And that that really did help me because there are things that you can only say at on a bigger platform and YouTube mm. was that at that time Instagram didn't have the reels concept they had mm. IGTV mm. and I wasn't really a big fan of that uh, because I was uh, in my in my view if you're going to put up a four to five minute video YouTube was the place to do it not Instagram True. people True. are not on Instagram to watch five minute long videos but mm-hmm. then when reels came in I realized that uh, you can give snippets of information in 30 to 60 seconds. Mm. So I actually had a lot of fun exploring how can you break down a complex topic into 60 seconds. So I really enjoyed experimenting with reels. Very cool, man. Very cool. Um, So when Tanmay mentioned that you should start live streaming, what was the idea? What were you live streaming essentially? And uh, did that bring in inhibition for you? Because I think you were not essentially a public person, right? I think social media made you uh, as as a public person, if if I could say that, Uh, maybe or give you greater access to a platform. To get your voice mm. out um mm. was that was that a barrier for you when he started live streaming because it's a very raw form of engagement with the direct audience um right. there are no filters you are being yourself and especially when you compare a lot on social which is very filtered edited high quality um yep. did that bring in some preconceived notions for you it was very interesting because in a way i felt that live streaming was the 2022 equivalent of being on stage Mm-hmm. being in front of a live audience and you're talking you're sharing something with them their reactions are impacting you in real time so it, it was the it is the modern day equivalent of being live on stage which for me wasn't that new because i've always grown up uh, performing on stage either with music or through poetry so i have performed at multiple platforms across the country um and i, I am comfortable being on stage so because of that one factor be, live streaming didn't seem that foreign to me it still felt okay especially because of the love and support that i got from the audience i can't explain to you how important that was because if you're dealing with a hostile group it's a completely different thing but if you're dealing with a group of people who want to talk to you that is an absolute game changer because uh, you you can be yourself and feel accepted. So it, it was in a way a very uh, healthy relationship uh, at the start because it was uh, me trying out something new, but the audience was also trying out something new and we were both supporting each other. So what were you live streaming though? What um, content were you live so streaming? There were two things I was live streaming about initially. One was core neuroscience. Mm, I would take a topic like... Um, anything it could be like jealousy it could be love relationship and I would just break down the neuroscience behind it Uh, certain mental health stuff like depression anxiety panic attacks what is the neuroscience behind it and the other thing was about learning because I was very passionate about how students should learn and how we never stop learning Uh, even if you're 35 45 55 you're just learning different things but you are still learning So what is the science behind learning? So I had this entire series called Learning to Learn, where I would call different guests. Uh, You know, I had Tanmay, I had had Vidit Gujarati, who's a chess grandmaster. Mm. And I had multiple people come on the stream and talk about how they learned stuff. And it was very fascinating because, you know, some of them have been uh, your typical academic, um, going to school, going to college, studying hard. Others have never gone to school. Others have never, you know, attended formal education. All of them equally successful in their own way. So it just made it very interesting how learning can happen in so many different ways. And there's no wrong or right way to do it. So that's what I was uh, streaming about initially. And generally, as a a creator, um, people tend to often find a content market fit. 
the things mm-hmm. that resonate most with the audience right that's the essential struggle for most of the creators in terms of understanding what essentially hits and finally that's what they want to keep ending eventually mm-hmm. um was there a, a content market fit study for you or you were already experimenting you already knew your space you did not want to experiment you figured out what was your process like hmm that's a great question actually mm, for me the key word that kind of kept me going was that neuroscience is everything take any life experience of yours anything that you have ever experienced that has interested you in any way there is a neuroscientific basis for that why did you enjoy it why did you feel that way why did you dislike it why would you want to do it again there is a neuroscientific basis for it and i felt it was fascinating for me to explore that and also see that light of recognition in other people's eyes when they realize oh this is why i felt this way and it's it's like a little bulb going on in your that head. aha moment that aha moment exactly so if you if you look back at your favorite song why do you like it why do you keep humming it when you close your eyes and i, I tell you imagine your happy place there is a certain vision that will come to your mind there will be certain faces that come to your mind why why did that happen what is the neuroscience of a happy place it's just something that you don't think about but then as soon as you start thinking about it there is this aha moment i love that so even when i am reading a research article i wait for that aha moment for myself and as soon as i get that that's what my next reel will be about mm-hmm. because i want to share my enthusiasm my feeling of wonder with other people so there is no market fit per se anything that makes me go wow is the market fit for me <laughs> hmm and when did you start sort of getting collab opportunities or being outside of the medical fraternity and talking about applications of neuroscience in other spaces like marketing so i remember when uh, we ran into each other at the brands and entertainment conference so you were speaking with tanmay there um, yep. and this was essentially around people audience who were primarily marketers ad agency guys creator yep. economy folks right um, and here you are talking from the hat of neuroscience there which completely right. got people in rapid attention so right. when when did you start seeing the the repercussions of this that this is not just a medical thing this has mm. ramifications in the other spaces too so this was a gradual realization my first uh, first step outside of the medical field in terms of neuroscience was on relationships and mental okay. health so mental health still has an overlap because anxiety True. depression were still core medical topics but they st- slightly start merging into your everyday because are we talking mm. anxiety disorder or are we talking anxiety because everybody True. gets anxious anxious so as we understand the neuroscience of anxiety disorder we gradually understand the neuroscience of anxiety itself and then you start understanding personalities and then you start understanding behavioral patterns we go into psychology and then we go into relationships we start understanding group psychology and from there we understand why do people buy the way they do why do they shop the way they do why do they like certain advertisements why do they not like certain advertisements why do they like certain brands why do they not like certain brands so it feels like a gradual progression from one field to another where you are exploring the neuroscience behind that um i don't remember really the tipping point as to what got me into it i did a course on neuromarketing just out of interest it was on um it i found it on coursera and it blew my mind mm-hmm. the yeah because of um, how simple it could it can be when you understand why people behave the way they do um and then i i read a lot about it i in fact i took a workshop of my own on neuromarketing um and then i did a couple of live streams with tanmay and that's what led me to the brands and entertainment event very cool um when you are also a practitioner of your subject as 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 a practicing doctor um now on the co- content creator hat uh, you are not only getting your revenues from example youtube ad streams right uh, youtube adsense but also you are taking courses so what are the other revenue mechanisms you figured out as a creator outside of being a practitioner so very honestly it's not something i pay a lot of attention to uh for me i am still primarily a practicing neurologist and so all of my finances in my head are still from there whatever i get 
from social media. I consider it as a bonus and uh, most of it gets put right back into it. Uh, either in terms of paying for better editors or uh, paying for a better mic or a better, you know, camera, like just make the, uh, make the whole experience of social media more comfortable for me and my audience. I still don't look at it as a source of earning or a source of revenue. I think the reason is that uh, I don't want to start thinking about it in terms of I haven't earned my monthly quota from social media. Okay, I don't want that in my mind. Point. This is a yeah. very, very important point. I think um, many of the creators who were born on social mm-hmm. media mm-hmm. Uh, found a recognition on social media. For them, the world is social. Right. And um, the the branching out of revenue streams happen because of social. Right. When uh, a real world practitioner, like a like a medical uh, practitioner or an engineer or someone else uses that leverage mm. to bring on social, mm. their world of living is not dependent on social. Correct. Right. And I think that's a very stark difference because the reason why I wanted to bring this up is mental health has been a big problem for creators in particular who are thriving off social in in, in particular, right? Um, Who continuously create content for social because that's where they earn their primarily living from. Um, Burnout is a very, very real issue, uh, especially when creators and creative people in general, like like creatively inclined people in general. Um, I would love for you to unpack, um, A, how is it that creator burnout or artist burnout can be avoided? Because that's something hmm. that would be of a particular interest, uh, not only to our listeners, but to me as well, because I've been through those situations where it's essentially been like, I need a break, but you can't. The 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 hamster wheel just has to keep on running. Uh, you've right. got to keep performing. You've got to be happy. Um, you can't let your energy levels down because you are a public person. That's where everyone wants to see you as. Tell me a little bit more about that, please. It is difficult. Uh, you have to accept that right at the uh, you know uh, right at the start when you say you have to be happy that is a paradox because as soon as you're forcing yourself to be anything uh, the chances are that happiness isn't really going to come out of it uh, the way that the neural networks of happiness is structured is uh, you need to have a certain level of unpredictability you need to have a certain level of surprise um, and it is not sustainable that feeling of dopamine spike, which is what we call happiness, isn't sustainable. If it's a, if there's a spike, there has to be a drop. Biochemically, there has to be a drop. And if you're not comfortable with that, then we will keep chasing that high. And uh, that has negative consequences. So for me personally, I have A, stopped expecting happiness. What does it sounds mean? very philosophical, hmm. but um, don't do it to be happy. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't uh, happiness will come. You are have a different purpose, not happiness, because happiness is not something that you can aim for. You can aim for other things, and happiness can be a natural byproduct of that. So you could aim to create, you could aim to get better, you could aim for anything else but happiness. Happiness just comes. This is just my perspective, okay? This is just my, the way I work. So for me, that makes it easier because there will be days where you're frustrated. But that doesn't mean that your plan is going wrong. Mm. But if your plan was to be happy, then the days that you're being frustrated means that something is wrong. But it isn't. Uh, it's a it's a natural biochemical up and down that happens in your brain. So mm. there will you will have low days. There you will have high days. It doesn't reflect on your personal uh, capabilities. So that's that's the step. That's step one for me. Once I've come to terms with that, life gets a little easier. Uh, step two, as far as creativity is concerned, you also need to understand that creativity also goes up and down. Mm-hmm. Get used to it. Get used to your own rhythm, your own pattern. So if you have creative hours, then create during those hours and rest during the times when you're not creative. If some, some people have creative days, some people have creative weeks, make the best of it. Try to note down as much as you can. 
because creativity is a spark the actual putting out of the product is hard work so if you are feeling creative note down all your ideas be as creative as you can and leave the hard work part for it for the moment when you're not feeling creative when you just have to sit put your head down and work so i try to think of it as two separate aspects of creativity one is the fun exciting brilliant part you know where you are like yes oh my god i'm brilliant the other one is you know what it doesn't matter if i'm brilliant or not i need to write the script i need to shoot the video i need to edit the video i need to upload the video this all this is in creative stuff you don't feel wow doing all of this True. but somebody True. has to do it so i try to divide myself into creative non creative and then assign each one to their respective roles okay quick question uh bursts of creativity or discipline oh can't can't pick dude um it's i mean if your final depends on your depends on what you're going for if you're chasing that dopamine spike always burst of creativity because you feel happiest after that creative burst but if what you're chasing is final outcome then you have to be disciplined you can't have it otherwise so for example let's take something simple um suppose you have this plan of doing 60 reels in 60 days no amount of creative spark is going to let that happen if you don't have discipline sustainability basically it won't sustain if you just purely rely on creativity right exactly so you need to find a different motivational locus apart from happiness because you are not going to be happy let's be very honest it's like going to the gym for 3 months you are not going to be happy every day you will hate it at certain points so that cannot be the reason why you are going there has to be a different reason and you have to spend a lot of time thinking long and hard about what is that reason and once that is clear things become easier so i want to unpack a couple of things one is about not chasing happiness and happiness being the byproduct uh that sort of puts this into perspective at least in my head a parallel is that you can only control the input variables and not the output variable ha- happiness becomes the output variable so what you can control is uh the effort the process whatever things that are making or at least on the track to make you happy so for example if making the content is making you happy uh getting virality becomes a dopamine hit in spite of whether you have success or not because you enjoyed the process of making the right 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 uh in the world where we are constantly looking for social validation external validation i yeah. want to first um also challenge this presumption in my head as well that is external validation all right to have right mm. or is it all internal uh should i just be like i know my process i know the work that i'm doing i know my discipline i know i will create the reels screw whether it something goes viral or not i will keep on putting the material that is one angle of looking at it second is because my audience wants it they expect something good quality out of me i have to ensure that they are happy in the process so they need to be happy uh is there a line that you draw between the two if not what is it i don't think there is a right and wrong here Sure, sure. I'm just asking for perspective from you. Yeah, yeah. But hundred percent external validation is important. The reason I'm saying that is because uh, we are wired that way. Human, the human brain is wired to look for external cues. Right from the time a baby is born, the baby will look towards the mother, the father, the siblings to figure out if what that baby is doing is right or wrong. They will, he will, he or she will try to copy the mannerisms. um when you know sometimes when the baby is a little older you'll notice that the baby will cry but if nobody is looking then it will stop crying and then it will cry a little louder uh and and then when people start looking it will cry even louder because now okay he is he or she has got their attention there is a lot of looking for external cues you never outgrow that you are always looking around to see if did i do something right or did i do something wrong how else would you know because inherently there is no right and wrong right and wrong is only based on consequences and consequences are 99% of the time decided by other people if not for physics most of the consequences that we face in life are decided by other people so we are wired to look for external cues to decide what we should do how we should behave absolutely nothing wrong in that in fact i embrace it 
Okay, so, somebody, so let me, let yeah. me interject there. Uh, yeah, people yeah. in the entertainment business, media business, events business, show business, um, are some of the people who experience massive bouts of loneliness and depression. Okay, right. and there is right. a reason to that. Uh, one of the things that I've come to understand is because their happiness depends on external cues. Their happiness right. depends on approval from people. Now that right. approval can never be. contained by your actions entirely it is hmm. very random you might take 5 years to create a piece of art and that can completely be shit uh, according to the audience but for you it's a massive masterpiece but someone who could make a reel in 1 minute and put it out could be a massive hit and give instant virality um right. my thing i'm trying to understand and why i'm trying to also unpack this question is because uh every time a dopamine hit comes in when a viral work comes into place it gives us a validation that oh i'm good it might mm. not necessarily be true in objective sense you might not be good it might have worked in the favor of the algorithm you might have kicked off and you became successful because of that result the sustainability is a problem right you can't mm. make your happiness which is why i'm trying to question that and i challenge that perspective you saying that you're 100% on board for external validation but i'm here trying to understand that if my external validation becomes the only way to live uh, mm. it's a scary situation to be in because like i said people in the business are constantly harping on the fact that oh i've got x million views x billion views and that Correct. is still less because you're constantly comparing oh he got or she got more and there is no yeah. end to that i'm trying to yeah. understand is there is there a way to bypass this is there a way to have your locus of control within you and not yeah. outside of you yep absolutely so this is the whole uh, don't put your all your eggs in one basket uh, scenario of identity if your entire identity is placed on one variable then you always r- run the risk of losing that variable and thereby losing your identity and that could be anything um if somebody's entire identity is that they are rich and if for some reason they lose all their money uh they the reason that they go through uh the reason this is so traumatic is because not only are they now struggling for practical reasons they've lost their identity so losing somebody losing identity is a very traumatic thing so if your identity is that other people love you then you run the risk of losing their identity if something goes wrong which is why you should have different your identity should be a lot bigger than just just one variable and there should be some aspect of your identity which is completely yours independent of everything else where even if you are left alone on a on an island you still have that so if you are, are you a harry potter fan um not as as crazy as other people are but sure i mean i appreciate sure. yeah so yeah. you know the you know story so there is this concept of horcruxes Okay. So Voldemort uh, puts little pieces of himself into different items so that he can never be killed. Mm. I thought what a wonderful metaphor for identity. So most people can be killed with just one spell because they are all they have. But Voldemort was smart enough to keep different parts of himself in different items so that he can never really be killed until all those things were destroyed. So we should try to do what Voldemort did. without being that evil we should try to have different horcruxes of identity hmm. where if I, okay so i'm a doctor and now suppose something goes wrong there and for some reason god forbid i'm i can never practice again i have another identity i'm i, I still write poetry i still have my social media uh i still have a family that i love and support and who loves and supports me there is you know there are different ways in which you can look at yourself only if all of that is gone and i i completely feel very differently about myself will i lose my entire identity and this is true so, for everyone each and every single person can think about different horcruxes for themselves so here's here's what i'm trying to look at from the perspective of application um when let's say for example i as a performing artist use mm. voiceovers anchoring mm. and podcasting as a way to use my knowledge and share it 
uh, with the people. So I'm not identifying with one thing in particular according to the logic that you're telling. Now, mm. outside of this, I would say, let me start YouTube content creation. Let me also become an Instagrammer and let me also have a startup of mine as well. So that right. I'm hedging my risks, I'm diversifying my risks and not identifying with one thing in particular. Is right. that what you're essentially trying to say of donning multiple hats in your life so that you're not associated with one thing in particular? You are growing as a person. So this is like any other big company. If uh, you know, if you're if you're a startup and your main product is just one, uh, and for some reason that one product becomes irrelevant, then your startup shuts down. But if you look at Reliance or Tata, um, who over 10, 30, 40, 50 years have diversified so much that even if one entire industry shuts down, they still have so much investments in other industries they can still survive so as you grow as a human being i think it is natural that you will evolve and expand into multiple factors multiple areas as a kid maybe your only identity was that uh, you are a good student sure but gradually you know you develop a hobby you develop friends you start doing other stuff so you 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 have been investing in other identities without knowing it the problem is that sometimes you think that one of them is more important than all of the, all of the others. And if that one thing gets destroyed, you will question yourself. So you need to ask yourself about this, that have I put in equal amounts into everything or is one thing more important than the rest? And if so, accept that risk that if something happens to that one identity, you will be in trouble. Very interesting. I, I have a segue to make here um, mm -hmm. because identity is also very, very strongly tied to someone very close to you in life. Let's say a partner mm -hmm. or a spouse yeah. and you make that person your central being of existence. Um, okay. That comes at the exclusion of family, that comes at the exclusion of friends. Um, the, uh, people often say that, right? Like I think uh, when, when you become committed in a relationship, uh, people often start forgetting their friends and they stop hanging out. And, you know, it comes yep. to the exclusion of family, giving them time as well. Um, yep. This is a classic, at least in my opinion, in terms of understanding that you associate everything, you tie everything around your existence around that one person. And the moment yep. the one person walks away from your life, everything just crumbles. I want to get this perspective from you in people perspective. How do I diversify my risks? So if you're talking of friends, uh, I think we do diversify. We are aware that uh, no one friend can fulfill all of your friendship requirements. So you might, you might be somebody who likes to play FIFA on your PlayStation. Uh, you might be somebody who likes to go hiking or cycling. You might be somebody who likes board games. And you might not find one friend who likes all of it. So you have different friends, you have different groups, you know, you have a clubbing group or you have a poetry group, you have a hiking group. And so you do diversify. And if there is some one certain one particular friendship ends for whatever reason, you are sad, but then you're not devastated because you have other friends. Romantic friendships, romantic relationships are different. Um, romance itself is different. Love is different. Uh, love does make you, for the lack of a better word, idiotic. You do start, uh, you do start thinking irrationally because that's the way that love is designed. We quite literally the prefrontal cortex uh, and the thinking part of the brain gets suspended and everything becomes more instinctive, impulsive. Um, and the other thing that happens is that as you fall more and more in love, you start thinking of the other person as a part of you. Quite literally, our brain cannot tell the difference between them and self and them. So when they get hurt, you get hurt. When they get happy, you get happy. So it's 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 the highest level of empathy. So when they break up after that, it's it's like a part of you is being taken away. And again, I love this segue because we come back to identity. Who are you? And who are you independent of your relationship? So if you've completely mixed your identity with the presence of somebody else uh, then you run the risk of them going away and then you literally getting broken in half on the one hand it's a great feeling to be in love so much but everything that good comes with a price so you do run that risk of really getting your heart broken 
if you are a detached person, you could make the argument that so what? It's an experience. It's a human experience to get your heart broken. Go through it. Feel that feel that pain, feel that emotion and you will recover, you will come out of it. Uh, unfortunately, not everybody can be that detached and there are people who actually do get traumatized by a heartbreak. So f- if you are one of those people, then, you know, handle love with care. Like don't, don't fall that much in love. <laughs> well, that, oh, don't fall that much in love apparently. Okay. So there are, there are barriers and, and stages to falling in love according to Dr. Siddharth Warrior in the house. But you know, one of the things that is, that is a constant challenge is, is self-regulation. Right. Yeah. I don't think we are in that position to self-regulate how much we feel for someone. Uh, mm-hmm. When you say that you fall for someone really hard, very quickly versus someone who's very logical, rational, like you said, the mm-hmm. detached kind of a personality who can yeah. take a step back and get a perspective, whether am I really, she is really, or he is really for me. Uh, right. There's a whole spectrum of feeling someone is going through. Um mm. The earlier point you mentioned about, uh, and I want to circle back to that point uh, that that tied in with self awareness is about: mm-hmm. uh, Are you are you are you the kind of person who can regulate your emotion? Are you aware of where you are falling into, with who you are falling into, with the kind of people, even with friends? Uh, can mm. you can you can you detach and break away bonds as well? Comes at a price. I don't think mm. um, we, however, I mean. There is obviously a small percentage of people who are extremely rational and extremely aware of it, but the majority are mm. ready to pay the price for a heartbreak, ready to mm. pay the price for what actually someone goes through when you are subject to absolute bouts of loneliness, anxiety, yeah. because the person is not around you. Um, mm. Is there a mechanism to deal with that? I know this is post the issue, right? I'm not talking yeah. while you are going through it. I mean, if everyone was aware that, oh, this is how I should deal okay, then I'm well armed. I can do whatever I want to. But sadly, yeah. it doesn't work that way, right? I think you fall head over heels for someone, you just go with all the flow. Um, yeah. And this has become even more particular because especially when the apps, uh, the dating apps that are prevalent right now, uh, okay. it has made connecting so much more easier. Uh, yeah. And it has skipped the, the 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 trickier parts of, you know, quoting and, and, yeah. and, you know, taking the effort and stuff. Everything is very easy accessible. Also, then yeah. the pain also comes at a price too. Um, mm. What 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 are your thoughts on this, Siddharth, about how to navigate this pain, this loneliness, this anxiety someone goes through? Mm. So there are a couple of things. Um, there are many situations in life that you're not prepared for. All right. So I always think of uh, sports. So we, we we look at sports. We we applaud cricketers or footballers for their skill. Um so if I, I take the example of, say, Cristiano Ronaldo. All right. So he he's running with the ball at his feet and there are four defenders coming at him. And somehow he is able to find his way through it and he goes on and he scores. Right. Um, put yourself in that position. There is no way you do that. Not a chance. You will... You will not be able to handle that many impulses at the same time. Like you have to look at the ball at your feet. You have to look at where all the defenders are. And at the same time, you have to maintain your calm. There are 100,000 fans screaming at you. A lot of external stimuli, basically. A lot of external stimuli, a lot of internal stimuli. Your heart rate is, you know, so high. You're so anxious. To be able to navigate through that is very, very difficult. The reason that he's able to do it is A, of course, he's naturally talented, but B, also because he's done it so many, 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 many times. He has practiced that so many, many, many times. I think all human emotions can be dealt better if you are under supervised practice. The the reason some people cannot handle heartbreak is because even if they've been through a heartbreak before they don't look at it like a learning opportunity they look at it like a very personal affront which is if you if you think about it is fundamentally flawed the whole point of self growth is that i did something i didn't get the uh, the outcome that i was desiring what did i do wrong let me change my behavior so just like Cristiano trying out his first overstep and probably falling on the ball, 
if he would have taken that personally he would have never gone ahead and you know become who he is but then in sports it's easy to understand somehow Ooh. all the metaphors make a lot of sense in sports maybe it is time to start thinking of love as an adventure sport <laughs> because that's what it is <laughs> okay okay and but, everything you know, starts falling into place <laughs> with with that perspective there is a reason why so many people tell that oh i'm attracting the same kind of person and again that i'm trying to avoid and i think that essentially sort of circles back to the same point that uh, when it comes to self growth personal growth um you are not learning from the experiences and i could be entirely wrong when i say that as well but just from my limited understanding of things one of the reasons you sort of attract the same pattern of people in your lifestyle is also because you are the same person whether in the previous relationship or this relationship nothing has essentially changed except the person that you're bringing into your life um from that angle uh when someone understands the trigger that if um, if for example short temper is like a classic issue with a lot of people right um you understand that that's a pattern of you that's an impediment and that that causes harm to other person and to yourself as well um that comes with a lot of self awareness right uh, siddharth to be able to understand a where you are from can can this be can this be practiced is it a muscle that can be practiced and can someone snap out of these triggers these these patterns yeah absolutely it is self awareness is a habit the more you practice it or the more the easier it becomes so in the middle of in the middle of uh, an emotion you should be able to just take a step back and while you are angry while you are shouting you should be able to just take a step back and think okay wait what am i doing why am i angry what did this person say that triggered me so much why is my limbic system so active why am i so defensive right now you should be able to do that the problem is that people don't practice it so if you practice it and you do it three times the fourth time it becomes natural so ideally there should be like an alarm that goes on your smartwatch or something if you know if you're angry just just an alarm just a reminder just something that you have set for yourself nobody else is telling you because when you're angry the entire world is your enemy except you yourself so if you could somehow remember that wait you're angry snap out of it and you make that into a habit 100% it can happen just like any other thought exercise you know there is this uh, i mean this is a tangential point but uh, there is a concept by uh, nasim talib um, mm-hmm. i'm not if you sure if you're aware of this concept called anti fragility yeah, yeah, now uh, so this is a, such an interesting point that if someone goes through an issue uh, a major mm-hmm. trauma a major problem in life uh, yeah. it's a classic thing that what doesn't uh, kill you makes you stronger that sort yeah. of encapsulates what an- anti fragility is because i think when someone goes through a traumatic experience a difficult experience they yeah. are better able to handle it rather than crumble the next time an issue comes in but i think right. what happens with us is that we make our issue and I, and I, and i say this from personal experience um yeah. is that once we face with uh, our face with at least a very difficult difficult situation in life we make yeah. that the barometer of understanding our threshold of pain that we can yeah. only suffer this much if it was a little more man i will crumble but the yeah. fact that you were able to persevere through so much of pain has actually made you resistant for that pain now it's only higher up from there it's not going to lower yeah this uh, this brings me to this realization i've had uh, that people who have lived through and survived through trauma are better off than people who've had no trauma at all oh absolutely so absolutely. the aim in life is not to really avoid trauma um which is actually not possible um there will be challenges and trauma is a very subjective thing so what is trauma to you when you are 3 is is nothing is is you won't even register it when you're 30 but suppose you haven't gone through that trauma when you were 3 uh you know your mom not buying you a chocolate could be a trauma for you when you're 30 i mean it just sounds ridiculous but no it's actually true yeah everything every single experience where you have met resistance from life could potentially be a trauma unless you, until you get over it and then it's just life it's just something that you know how to handle and this is across the board it applies everywhere every single thing that you come across is something that you have to learn to navigate 
and other people have learned to navigate it others have not you could pick you could be either one if you've learned to navigate it it just becomes part of your repertoire now now you know all right if this happens i know what to do and that's how you move forward in life and this is endless which is why i look at anyone anyone in the world the most mo- uh, the most famous motivational speaker in the world has a limit has a trauma limit something can break them everybody has that it the only thing is where is that like how far beyond is that and our probably the only real purpose in life is to just be comfortable and yeah. that yeah keep expanding your comfort zone yeah also i think expanding a comfort zone in addition to that i probably rephrase it and tell that i think you've got to keep on increasing a threshold of pain if you can increase a threshold of pain you can survive the most monstrous situation now with that being said you mentioned correctly that everyone has a threshold of a certain pain the limit till they reach a certain breaking point i think if it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger again it holds so much value is because essentially you were able to survive that pain yes there is ptsd there is there are ways that you don't know how to recover from that pain absolutely that needs correction that needs help that needs external support but with that being said if you were able to survive so much uh chances are that you are at least better positioned than someone who's never been through that sort of pain i i read this uh, i was reading this uh, article somewhere which said that i think in one of the armies whether australian army or the israeli army uh, when they see your resume if you've never failed in your life they don't accept you mm. they don't want an impeccable resume they don't want a top notch resume they want you to be in a position where you failed so that you know how to bounce back because being in a situation where you know how to bounce back is the ability to survive and get up and then fight again the next day yeah uh, one misunderstanding that i think people get uh, from a conversation like this is that um, they think it means to chase pain oh yeah true and true we're not getting that it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that very true life is painful enough yeah just your regular routine normal life is challenging enough for most of us the the point that i'm trying to make is that how well do you navigate your everyday life decides uh, decides this decides whether your everyday life becomes traumatic or everyday life becomes routine so just keep getting better at navigating your everyday life and that's all so you don't have to go to the gym and lift 500 pounds because you will never need to lift 500 pounds but you better be good at lifting 50 to 100 pounds because that is a situation that can come you know your foot can get stuck under a cupboard and you may have to lift that cupboard and we don't know how heavy that cupboard could be these are things that could happen in your everyday life and if it happens and if you're not prepared that could be a traumatic event but if you were prepared it wouldn't be a traumatic all we're trying to do is to reduce the chances of you going through a, a through an event that could traumatize you so for that you have to prepare yourself and i and i think i always love an example that involves a workout a reference a metaphor to workout because it is the most classic gradual way of building your capabilities i think yeah. you can never go in the gym like you said lift a 500 or do a deadlift of 500 kilos right pound it will never right. be happening but it right. will happen if you once do the 10 20 30 40 50 100 and then i think that's right. exactly what we're trying to get at that with life i think um the threshold to pain the ability to absorb pain or challenges or happiness for that matter increases yeah. only in step by step processes i think if you're looking at those massive leaps of jumps that will make you this strong it will generally not come in it will come at yeah. a very heavy price is what i'm trying to understand and please correct me if i'm wrong siddarth because mm-hmm. i think gradual is the way to go rather than sort of absorbing everything in one go and telling that this is how life should happen because living in the external world of content creators validation art and and you know the fame it can seem that oh virality 2 million views 3 million views oh my god i am putting out so much material uh, it's still not sort of hitting the place that i want to but here there yeah. is someone who's made a averageish reel but he's got millions of views maybe i'm doing something wrong man like i'm i'm not at that place yet right right it's so uh, so that's that's the thing of having one single variable variable for comparison oh uh, because if if it comes down to just a number it can get pretty confusing uh because then you judge yourself with just that number and it is 
to the limbic system, it's all just a bunch of gestures and signals. We have to understand that. So the limbic system doesn't really understand numbers as much. It just understands relative 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 importance. So we know that uh, 1 million is better than 100,000. We know that 100,000 is better than 10,000. But why is it better? What is the what is the meaning of it? The limbic system doesn't really get all that. It just has a sense of superior and inferior. That's it. Ki, oh, somebody is superior to me. So all of those feelings associated with looking at somebody superior will kick in, which is respect or jealousy, anger, rage, um, greed, like, oh, I want what they have. What do they have is not clear because the limbic system doesn't think so much. It just goes through these um, very arbitrary, you know, preconceived behavioral systems. Somebody superior, I want this, this. Somebody's inferior, oh, this person doesn't really deserve my attention or, oh, they are reaching out to me. They should be kind to me or they should be respectful towards me. It's, it's just very vague. It doesn't think these things out. So it is part of your prefrontal cortex's responsibility to tell the limbic system to shut up. Somebody's number doesn't define them, just like some, your number doesn't define you. And your aim is to just get better. That's it. Nothing else really matters. Yeah, I think also because numbers are such an absolute thing that it's easy to quantify and make sense yeah. of. But uh, but the softer aspects of whether you're actually growing internally or not, whether you yeah. made one video better than the previous one, whether you were happy doing this is not unfortunately quantifiable. So that gets left out in the process. But I think the point of this conversation okay. was around self-awareness and being aware that uh, putting and controlling your variables is what you can make sense of uh, yeah. happiness and the numbers and the output that comes along with it is something that we don't have control over. Yeah, absolutely. It comes down to Bhagavad Gita. Just get better. Be, be good at your job and get better and better at it. And that's it. Don't, don't think about anything else. It's all, it's all Maya. Karam kiya ja fal ki That's the line <laughs> that goes along with this conversation. Lovely. <laughs> Super said that. So this has been uh, such, such a great chat. Thank you once again for all these perspectives. It's been nothing but a delight chatting with you, brother. Thank you, Hardik. This was uh, absolutely amazing. I'm glad we got to do this. If you enjoyed this episode of Jamsters, please make sure you subscribe to Epilogue Media and all major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, GeoSavan, Ghana, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, among many others, for upcoming episodes. You know, I love listening from each one of you. So please make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family and your colleagues. And please make sure to drop a comment on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. And also, if you're listening on Epilogue Media, they've recently launched a feature where you can comment on the particular episode too. Your support is my fuel. You can connect with me on Instagram at the rate Hardik D. Vaidya or on LinkedIn too. Catch you on the other episode.